We're going to be turning the word this morning to the second chapter, to the second epistle of Peter, first chapter. You might be looking that up. I have in my hand a holy book that tells us about a holy God who has sent his Holy Spirit to us to help us to live holy lives. A holy book tells about a holy God who sends his Holy Spirit to help us live holy lives. That's what this chapter in 2 Peter is going to be about. It's going to be living the Christian life, living a life that is marked with meaning and purpose and joy, satisfaction, all the things we hunger for, peace, peace with God, and peace with each other. It's a, it's a great passage, one of my favorites in the entire Bible, and we'll be getting into that. But before we do that, I want to make it clear that this passage in the Bible is not about how to get to heaven. It's about how to live on the way. Second Peter is not a tract on how to get saved. It is a tract on living the way saved people can live by the power and joy of God. I want to make that really clear. We're not saying here's the things you've got to do if you hope to get to heaven. You are on your way to heaven if you just simply believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior. There is the gate right there. It's the gate at the cross. And we Christians need to be really careful that we don't fall into legalism, thinking that there are some things we have to do and some things we have to accomplish and some things we must not fail at or we're going to get slapped in the face and sent to hell. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you are saved. You are on your way to heaven. But the Bible has a great deal to tell us about how we can live on, while we're on the way that will make life a joy, a satisfaction, will bring meaning. You know, the greatest four questions in life, I've been told, and I agree with it, is where did I come from? Why am I here? How should I live while I'm here to get the fullness out of life? And where am I going? Well, the Bible tells us where we came from, and it tells us where we're going if we believe in Jesus Christ. It also tells us why God puts up with us here and how we should live to really live a full, meaningful, joyful life. And that's what we'll be looking at. So, 2 Peter, chapter 1. Peter starts with a salutation, a greeting to all believers. Says Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then beginning at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, 
and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, and I would add above all, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. And there you have it, God's recipe given to us on, on the support we have, the source we have, the means we have of living a really Christian life, a life that fulfills all of our hopes and all of God's expectations for us. When I think of building a life, I often compare it to building a home. And I'd like you to take a kind of a fanciful journey with me for a little bit about home building. And start out by ask, asking you to imagine that you are a young person who has dreams of, of having a home and, would, and dreams about how wonderful it would be if they could build that home themselves. A young, but a young person who has no idea of how to go about it. A young person who knows nothing about construction, very little about tools, nothing about materials or specifications or what's required in the ways of electricity and plumbing and foundations and all of that, just totally ignorant. Now, I know that'd be very difficult for some of you because a lot of people here are very, very skilled in construction. I'm sure most of you have used tools and know quite a bit about them, but, but I think you can imagine that. I know I'm 85 years old and I can really still imagine being young and starting something that I don't have any idea how to go about doing. I can, I can dream about that. You can dream about it. But suppose you're that young person and you're thinking, I really would love to have a home. I don't know how, I'd love to do it myself. I don't know how to, how to even get started at it. And you have a very wealthy uncle who invites you to dinner one day and says to you, I have heard about your dream about a home. And I approve of it. And I want to help you out with it. I want to see to it that you have a beautiful home to live in. But I want it to be your home. So I want you to build it. Be in the building of it. And your first thought is, wait a minute. How am I going to build a home? I don't, I don't understand construction. I don't know the tools. I don't know the requirements. I don't know the city codes and all of that. I'd be scared to death about the inspection if I did get something built. I'm sure it wouldn't pass inspection. But your uncle is saying to you, now what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to provide you with all the material you need, the, real, the best materials. I'm going to provide you with all the tools you need and the instruction how to use them. And I'm going to provide you with people who can tell you how to do it and will help you do it. And if you have your heart in it and really are willing to do the work, I am going to work with you. And I know all about this construction business, 
So while I'm with you, we'll work together. And, you, and if you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, what if I make a mistake? What if I cut a board too short? What if I bust a window? Aren't you going to get upset with me and stop helping me? And No, I wouldn't do that. Now, you wouldn't do those things on purpose, would you? Well, of course not. Well, I expect that you'll make mistakes. I expect you'll have accidents. I expect you'll get things wrong sometimes. But I'm going to work with you, and I will work with you, and we'll, if you do something wrong, we'll straighten it out. If you break something, we'll fix it. If you, if you get something, make a big mistake, we'll correct it. I'll work with you, and we'll, I'll get you through it. And you don't have to worry about the inspector, because I know exactly how to get this done, and I'll make sure it all gets right at the end. And you'll have a beautiful home. That'd be quite an offer, wouldn't it? Couldn't go wrong on that, could you? Yeah. Well, that's a fantasy, of course. It's very unlikely. It could happen, but it's very unlikely it's going to happen to you in this life. But First Peter is telling us exactly how that can happen in building a spiritual life. He says here, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And of course, he's talking about life in Christ. Talk about the Christian life. That's quite a promise. He's given us everything we need. It means there's no excuses. You can't say, well, what if I make a mistake? Ah, you're going to have what's needed to correct it. You can't say, what if I get it wrong? It's going to be taken care of. It'll be made right. That, that is true in the Christian life. His divine power has given us all of those things. And how can we trust that? Well, because we have that knowledge through Christ, who has all those wonderful promises. He has promised us that we'll have all we need. He has promised us that he will always be with us. He has promised us he will watch over us and walk with us and be with us. And if we make mistakes, and we always will. If we get things wrong, we always will. He, he doesn't get angry and walk off and quit. He works with us. He's with us. He, he overlooks our mistakes. Actually, doesn't overlook them, he forgives them. Bill Coates gave me a, a wonderful term last week when he was preaching for something I fully believe, and I just was so glad to, I, I told him, I said, I'm going to remember that term, silent forgiveness. You know, we can trust the Lord for that. If you, he expects us to make mistakes. He expects us to get things wrong. He expects us to mess things up once in a while. And a lot of times we don't even know we've done it. How many times have somebody reminded you that you've, you've, you had, you've made a promise and you had totally forgotten and you had no notion at all that you were breaking a promise? Well, you hope your friend forgives you for that. Christ has already forgiven you. You don't do things on purpose, of course. To deliberately do something you knew was wrong would be that you were, de you were actually defying Christ and turning away from him. And that's a whole different story. We won't get into that. But we have this wonderful Lord who has given us, promised us, and it's his promises. The creator of the universe, the one who knows everything, the one who has created everything, 
is telling us that he will provide us with all that we need to live a wonderful, wonderful Christian life. I really rejoice in that. So if we know him, if we trust him, if we believe him, then we can step out with confidence to live a life in him. And he lays that, does it very well at laying that out for us. Gives us all the materials we need, gives us the tools we need to use, gives us the directions, gives us specifications, and gives us the promise that when the great inspection takes place in the last judgment, that our record will be clean because he leads us and directs and guides us in that. It means we can have a life. We don't need to worry about. We don't need to fret. We can advance in absolute confidence as long as our hope and our faith is in Jesus. And in being with Jesus, we be start becoming like him. He tells us, he gives us a list here of the factors in a wonderful Christian life. He says they start with faith. If you go to the fifth verse and down, it includes goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love above all things love. Those are the things that define a real Christian life. Those are all things that are part of the nature of Christ. And the promises and the purposes that as we live with Christ and in him and stay faithful to him, we absorb his nature. They become nature to us. Now he does expect us, you know, he gives us, his, these are gifts of his to us. All of these things. I'm going to read them again. Here are gifts he has given us. They exist in us if we are in him. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. We absorb those things from him and they will be in us. If you, if you turn to Christ, his nature starts to become part of your nature. But... He doesn't just give them to you and then you have them and nothing else to do. He, like the man I talked about, the uncle, he expects us to be at work, to have our hearts in it and be working and applying these things and working at them so that they grow and become richer and better and go as we go. It, you, have, you have to cooperate with God in these. He, he'll, plant, he'll put love in your heart you have to cooperate with them by applying that love in your daily things, about learning how to use it. And that's what you call progressive life or progressive sanctification. Take love, for example. When I turned to Jesus Christ, I immediately had love in my heart for him. And I had love in my heart for others. But you know, I really didn't have much idea about how to apply that love. That I have to work at. That I have to grow in. And, I, and, and in th these things, you have them, but you have to apply them, and you must grow in them. So, for example, many times in my life, 
My heart has gone out to somebody in love because they're in trouble, but I haven't known what to do about it. Sometimes I've actually said the wrong thing and done more damage than good. I'm glad God forgives for that, you know. But as I live in Christ and walk with him day by day, that love grows and I become more skilled at applying it in situations I come up against. And I think that kind of thing goes on for a whole lifetime. You know, you, you begin the Christian life by putting your faith in Christ and you're born again and, and your whole life changes in a lot of ways and you're on your way to heaven. And all of these things become apparent to you that they're part of living the Christian life. And God will cleanse your heart of all rejection of him, of all sinfulness, of all wickedness. He'll cleanse your heart and give you a clean heart so your heart is really with him. But you still need to apply and grow. You can't just sit back. So he's talking about childish songs here a little while back. I remember when I was a small child singing, you can't go to heaven in a rocking chair because <laughs> the Lord don't want no lazy bums there. <laughs> I think there was some truth in that, you know. But these things, we must be at these things. But again, I want to emphasize, this is not, it, these things are not things you have to start doing to get to heaven. These are things you learn to do because you're on the way to heaven. They become important to you, that you have the same attitude toward them that Jesus does. You find them growing in your heart and in your life. And it makes for a wonderful, wonderful life while you're on the way. You know, we all desire, everyone desires a life that is full, that is meaningful, that is purposeful, that includes such wonderful things as joy and peace and satisfaction. I remember when I was a young man before I became a Christian, I developed a great fear that life was meaningless that all it was was just a round of days that went on and on and on with some bright spots here and there, but doesn't really amount to anything really after all. That after a thousand years, you'd be long forgotten what would it all been about. How glad I was to find Christ and find out that life has meaning. There was so much dissatisfaction in my life, you know, unhappy about this, unhappy about that, wanting that and not getting it. How tremendous it was to find out that in Christ, one can be fully satisfied. It's a wonderful life. It's a life worth pursuing, a life worth living. And he gives us his promise and his description, his specifications, that he will give us all of this and his promise that he will be with us and work together with us to get it right. So wonderful to wake up every morning knowing that today God is with you. And today will be a good day in many ways. And if you do mess up, God can take care of that and will take care of that because he loves you and cares about you. I pray that you will have a life it is meaningful, rich, full, satisfying, 
full of joy. And I call you to stay close to Jesus because it all comes through him. You know, I talked about tools. We have tools that we put to use. Some of them are simple. Read the Bible. Be in church. Say hi to your neighbor. Be kind, you know. These are all, there are a lot of tools to help with this life. We have to be aware that these are not things we do in our own strength. For them to be really effective, you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Christ sent his Holy Spirit to us in order that we might have the power to advance in these things, to live the life he wants us to live. Trying to do things like being loving and those things is like trying to use an electric drill to drill a hole when there's no juice. Can you imagine taking, you can probably imagine taking one of these electric drills, turn it by hand, turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it. Keep at it long enough, you'll probably eventually get a hole. I guarantee you'll never get a whole house built that way. There's a funny story, if I may tell a funny story, and maybe you've heard this. A fellow comes down from the woods to a hardware store, and he says he needs a new saw because he's worn his old saw out. Been using it all his life. His dad used it all his life. He got it from his grandfather. It's finally worn out. Needs a new saw. And the clerk says, oh, you want one of these new, um, electric, uh, these new gas saws, these cat-powered chainsaws. Oh, what's that? Well, here, I'll show you. He said, you use this. He said, you, you'll get those logs cut a lot faster. You'll do a lot better. The guy says, okay, he bought it. Comes back three days later, says, this saw doesn't work worth sour apples. Said, it took me all day to saw through one limb of a tree with it. The clerk says, wow, must be something wrong with it. He says, you know, I got some lumber out in the backyard. He says, go on and have a look. Maybe I can figure out what's wrong. Goes out there and lays the log up in the saw horse, pulls the handle, and the guy jumps, says, what's that noise? Didn't know how to use the tool. <laughs> they won't work without a source of power. And you cannot apply God's rules, God's things, in terms of I can do that by my own power. Oh, if you, you know, make your news resolutions and exert your willpower and remind yourself every day, you, you can make some progress. The great Benjamin Franklin at one time decided he wanted to live a flawless life. And he decided to get scientific about it. He wrote down every virtue he wanted to have in his life. He put it on a list and he made a calendar. And he decided, I'll start out with the first one and every day I'll try to apply that virtue and when I get it right, I'll check the box. And if I get seven boxes in a row checked, I'll know I've got that virtue. And I'll go on to the next one. Check it. And he did that for about five weeks. And then he realized that while he was working on the fifth week, he was missing the first one. <laughs> he was trying to do it in his own strength. It wasn't working. You need the source of power. I used to say you need to get plugged in. I was in uh, Home Depot the other day, and I wandered back into the tool section. It's always a fascinating place to be. And I noticed that none of the tools anymore have cords. They all have battery packs. 
So I can't say plug it in anymore, but you've got to have the source of power. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life and you'll find that you, you will have love that is real love. You will have kindness that really can take everybody in, that you really can get along with everybody. You'll find that God working in you makes it possible for you to do the work. And that's a wonderful thing about God, you know. He's working in you, makes it possible for you to do the work. That's that cooperation. We have to, if our heart's in it, if we're willing to work, then he's there. And the work is done through his power work in our lives. May you have a wonderful life. Would you stand and receive a benediction? This is one of my favorites, and actually a doxology more. But in the book of Jude, get the right page here. Make sure I get it right. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, both now and forever. Amen. And God bless you.